and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 2. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. Today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 15, Phases. In particular, I'll cover why Buffy is still our protagonist, despite that this is such a key episode for Willow and for Oz. Using humor and character development, not just as an end in itself, but to hide certain clues from the audience, and more on the show's underlying philosophy and theme regarding violence and who Buffy believes that she is allowed to kill as the Slayer. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Phases was written by Rob Hotel and Dean Batali and directed by Bruce Seth Green. A listener asked about Seth Green, the actor, and was that the same person as the director? It is not, and in fact, the two are not related. Before we get to our opening conflict, which remember is that conflict that sometimes relates to our main plot and sometimes doesn't, but it is meant to draw our audience member or reader in before we get to that story spark or inciting incident that sets off our main plot. Sometimes it relates to that story spark, sometimes it does not. Here we're going to have three opening conflicts and the story spark all coming in that teaser part of the episode before the credits. And what's kind of amazing is even before we get to that, we have a short callback to the witch. All of this in less than five minutes. So we start out, Oz is in the hallway and he is looking at that cheerleader trophy where in The Witch, Amy's mom became trapped. Now, none of our characters know that, although uh, they do know that that statue or trophy is of Amy's mom. And we see Seth Green as Oz standing in front of the trophy and kind of moving from side to side. Willow walks up and he says something like, "Uh, this cheerleader trophy, it's like its eyes follow you wherever you go. I like it. Now we go to our opening conflict, the first one, and this is between Willow and Oz. Willow asks, did he like the movie last night? She is really asking, did he have a good time with her? But he answers the literal question and does a very short mini critique on movies and says, "Uh, you know, movies today, they're like popcorn. You forget them as soon as they're done. But I really like the popcorn. She responds by saying, well, I had fun and doing a little bit of hinting around trying to see how 
how he feels. And he is not really getting it. They're just doing this kind of awkward back and forth until Buffy appears and Willow says something very awkward like, oh, and there is my friend and I will go to her. We now get a second hint of conflict here, which is when Larry, a new character, knocks a girl's books out of her arms and as she bends over to look at them, looks at her butt and makes a sleazy comment. He also looks after Buffy and Willow and says to Oz um, something like, I'd love to get some of that Buffy Willow action if you know what I mean. And we get a great quote from Oz. He says, that's great, Larry. You really mastered the single entendre. Larry goes on to give Oz a hard time about dating a junior and asks how far he's gotten. And we cut to Buffy and Willow on the same topic because Willow answers and says nowhere. So clearly Buffy has asked a similar question but with a much different intent. So note in that previous conflict a lot happens. We establish Larry as this new character who harasses girls. We also double down on Oz's humor and we'll see later a comment Oz makes that seems like another example of oh we're showing Oz is dry sense of humor and wit again actually is a clue to what's happening so now we're at Buffy and Willow Willow says something like she doesn't want to be the only girl in school without a real boyfriend Buffy looks sad and Willow immediately picks up on it she says she's sorry and asks how Buffy is doing And Buffy says it's hard, but it would help if the three of them could get together and share the misery as they often do. Willow makes a snippy comment about Xander and Cordelia, but she does agree that they should get together. Now we switch to Cordelia and Xander. So we've done a really nice thing there in getting in some very quick backstory about Angel and Buffy, about Willow and Oz, and about Willow finding out about Cordelia. If you hadn't seen the prior episodes, you wouldn't necessarily understand all of what happened, but you would get the sense of where these characters are and what these relationships are about. Now we see Cordelia and Xander making out in her car at an area where often the students go to park. Xander breaks away and says, what does she see in him? Cordelia says all he does is talk about Buffy, 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 or Willow, 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 and she tells him to shut up and they kiss. So this adds to both the conflict and more quick exposition because we get this tension between Cordelia and Xander, where Xander always seems to be focusing on anything and anyone other than Cordelia. At 4 minutes 33 seconds in, we get our story spark or inciting incident that sets off our main monster plot. Usually this comes about 10% into an episode and it does that here. The episodes are generally 43-44 minutes and here we hear this growling and we see this beast. Cordelia and Xander are at the moment unaware of it. So this gives us the, the spark that sets off the werewolf story 
and it also gives us our classic horror setup. After the credits, Xander says he thinks he heard something. Cordelia didn't, and she is mad at him again, thinking he is just being distracted. Then a claw comes through the cloth convertible roof. She throws the car in gear and drives away, throwing the beast off of the car. And Xander says, told you I heard something. The next day, Buffy looks at the shredded top of the convertible, and Xander says it was a werewolf. Cordelia says it's so awful and follows up with, Daddy just had this car detailed. Giles tells them that animal carcasses were mutilated last night, though no people were injured yet, and he guesses the werewolf will be back at the next full moon. And Willow points out that last night was the night before the full moon, so I love that Willow knows something or pays attention to something that Giles missed. He's very intrigued because this is one of the classics. All the others give him these looks. We switch to gym class. It is a session on self-defense. The teacher tells them to get in their assigned groups. Xander is near Larry and notices that Larry has a scar and Larry says that last week a huge dog jumped out of the bushes and bit him and he needed 39 stitches. Oz says he's been there and he holds up his index finger and says uh, cousin Jordy just got his grown-up teeth in and he does not like to be tickled and Larry rolls his eyes. So this is that moment I was talking about We have set this up as an episode where we get to know Oz better, and this seems like just the third example of, oh, this is Oz's personality. But really, we have just learned about the incident that turned Oz into a werewolf. Larry goes over to Teresa, another student that I don't think that we've seen before, but he says something really gross to her and says, uh, oh, we're in the same group. I may have to attack you. And she says, oh, there are a few people in our group, and Buffy is one of them, and she comes over and gives Larry this great look. But Willow pulls her aside, reminds her that she's supposed to be a, quote, meek little girly girl like the rest of us and Buffy sighs. Her attempt to be the meek little girly girl doesn't work though. Uh, The teacher is having the boys get behind the girls and trying to show the girls how to flip an attacker behind them uh, over their shoulder. So Buffy pretends to try and be unable to and Larry says uh, she's turning him on and she immediately flips him onto his back on the mat. Uh, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say because I've mentioned before Buffy never great at undercover. In the library, uh, Giles is explaining more about werewolves using a globe and a model moon and talking about how the moon brings out the darkest qualities. And the werewolf is an extreme representation of inborn animalistic traits, pure instinct, predatory, and Buffy says typical male. And Giles says don't jump to conclusions. And then this is maybe one of my favorite Buffy quotes ever. Probably have said that a bunch of times but I do love this one she says I didn't jump I took a tiny step and their conclusions were Giles though points out that this could be a woman not a man Uh, he also tells them they are not going to be making any silver bullets because this is a human who is human most of the time and might not even know about being a werewolf so they need to bring the werewolf back alive and Buffy agrees at about 11 minutes in Giles and Buffy are 
back in that parking area. They have split up and been looking around. When they meet again, Buffy starts to tell Giles some gossip about who she saw making out with whom. He wants to go around and ask people if they've seen anything. And Buffy says, Giles, no one's seen anything. We are now getting to our one quarter twist. This is the first major plot turn and it generally comes from outside the protagonist and spins our story in a new direction. Usually we see it about a quarter way through of the story, though in television as opposed to movies or books, it often moves around a little bit more, I think because it is timed in network TV for commercial breaks. And here we get it right before the commercial at about 12 minutes in. So that is a bit past our one quarter. Buffy, walking through a more wooded area, steps on something and gets caught in a rope net or trap that pulls her up so that she's hanging from a tree branch and trapped. And we hear a man's voice say, gotcha, and this guy with a gun appears, and we cut to a commercial. So we have this hook, almost literally, with Buffy hanging there. Now that this turn has happened, we are going to shift from Buffy trying to figure out who the werewolf is and stopping it to Buffy racing this guy who uh, tells her his name is Kane because he wants to find the werewolf and kill it. Kane is another example in this episode of a character who is almost a caricature of the predatory male. We saw that in, um, I should say, predatory male behavior. We saw that in Larry initially. Giles alludes to it, although he is talking about the werewolf. But now we see Kane and he tells Giles he's in impressed seeing him with Buffy he says it's good to get the fruit while it's fresh so gross which Giles immediately points out and Buffy says it's not what Kane thinks they're hunting werewolves and Kane laughs at that and says well this guy looks like he's auditioning to be a librarian and she's a girl so what can they do and he tells them he has a tooth from each kill and he sells werewolf pelts and Buffy says doesn't he care that a werewolf is a person 28 days out of the month and Kane says that's why he only hunts them the other three. Kane does give them some good information he tells them werewolves are drawn to sexual heat Buffy claims she has no idea where that might be, but of course, as soon as Kane is gone, she tells Giles she knows where to look. First, though, we cut to Teresa walking home in the dark. She thinks she hears something, and we hear growling. She's looking back over her shoulder as she runs, and she runs right into Angel. He plays the nice guy, reassures her there's no one behind her, says something like, oh, don't I know you? You go to school with Buffy. And we can see that Teresa is very relieved that he knows Buffy. This makes him seem familiar and safe. He says he'll walk her home. We switch to the bronze. Cordelia and Willow are sitting together and talking as a band plays. Cordelia is complaining about Xander that it's always Buffy did this and Willow says that and then he acts all confused when she calls him on it. And Willow says she and Oz are in some kind of holding pattern but without the holding. And they both agree the problem is that Oz and Xander are a couple of guys. I really like this character development despite Willow's snarky comment about Cordelia earlier, we see them becoming friends. And this to me is uh, one of the strengths of the show. Because while it does use 
classic uh, setups for conflict like love triangles, it almost never falls back on the cliche. So we don't have Cordelia and Willow feuding with each other, arguing over the same guy. Instead, despite that Willow is upset about uh, Xander and Cordelia, and Cordelia knows that they are commiserating and are there for each other. And it's particularly interesting because in our pilot, Cordelia was so mean to Willow and clearly viewed her as far beneath her socially. And this also reflects that really none of our core characters are defined by only one relationship or one role in their lives. The werewolf drops in uh, or jumps in right in front of Willow and Cordelia, seemingly from nowhere, I guess, from that kind of catwalk balcony area, the second level of the bronze. Everyone screams and runs. Giles and Buffy pull up in Giles' car, and Buffy goes inside. The bronze now is pretty much deserted. She is looking around the stage for the wolf, and she has a chain with her. And when she sees the wolf, she swings the chain until it wraps around the werewolf's neck. But it gets away from her. Kane comes in right after that and uh, makes a comment about what happens when a woman does a man's job, which is not going to phase Buffy as it is but then he says something that does really hit her that if the wolf harms anyone it's on her head of course he says pretty little head and Buffy says she lives with that every day and we see that weight on Buffy of every time she can't stop a demon, a monster, angel as a vampire, somebody can be killed. Outside of the bronze, the wolf is following a scent and he finds Teresa's body. Angel is standing over it in vamp face and they growl at each other and Angel backs off. This seems to me to be here solely to provide that classic vampire meets the werewolf moment and to give us a little more time with Angel. I really enjoy it despite that it doesn't move the narrative along. Ideally, we want every scene to have some significant character development or move the story along. This really does neither, but it's fun and it's quick. And I think it works because the story overall has so much emotional impact. So now we are coming up to our midpoint. Usually we see a major commitment by the protagonist. She commits to her quest or she suffers a major reversal. Here we we have something a little bit different and interesting. We have two reversals for Buffy. One that appears to be a very direct reversal for Buffy and one that is still a reversal for her but is somewhat indirect because its first impact that we see is on Oz and by extension on Willow. If you are listening to season two and you miss season one and you don't want to go back and listen to all of it, the paperback edition of Buffy and the Art of Story season one is now available on Amazon and the Kindle edition is available for pre-order. If you know someone who really enjoys Buffy and you think would like reading about every episode, please let them know about it. And finally, 
if like me, sometimes when you hear something, uh, whether it's a podcast or an audiobook, and you feel like you're learning from it, often I want to go ahead and buy that in print because I want to be able to flip to it and reread parts. I am big on highlighting. When I was in law school, at one point I had like five different color highlighters I used. Later I switched to just underlining, and now I'm rambling as Willow will do later in the episode. My point being, if you would like to have season one on paper, I will put a link in the show notes. I do not have it yet available widely to order through bookstores. I'm working on that. When that is ready, I will let you know that as well. Back to our reversals. First, we are at 21 minutes, four seconds in, so right about halfway, a little bit earlier than that, but very close to our midpoint. Buffy and Giles have been patrolling that parking area again. Buffy gets in the car, and they hear a radio news report about Teresa that says she was killed, and it's linked to the recent animal attacks. And Buffy, we can see in her face and her body language how hard that hits her. She says either here or a little bit later that she should have killed the wolf when she had the chance. So this seems like our midpoint reversal. And even if as an audience member, you're not conscious of looking for these plot points, most people know at the middle of an episode, we kind of expect something big to happen, a big reveal, a big shift. And it seems like that's it. And then the show kind of surprises us with another one. At 21 minutes, 18 seconds in, the wolf is lying in a field. Dawn is breaking and the wolf changes into Oz. I was truly shocked the first time I saw this. And Oz opens his eyes, sits, looks around, he's naked, and in his very understated way says, huh, now that I'm re-watching so closely, it did occur to me this is the second night. What happened to Oz the first night? Did he just uh, climb back into bed as a werewolf and put the covers over himself and wake up as Oz and not know anything happened. Uh, I guess that's the implication here because he is surprised. At any rate, this reversal, as I mentioned, directly impacts Oz. It impacts Willow, but I do see it as well as a reversal for Buffy because now the werewolf isn't only a human being, which already was a concern for her. It is a human being that her best friend has fallen for, which brings me to the question, why am I framing this from Buffy's perspective? Why do I see her as the protagonist? Our protagonist, ideally, should have a goal that she actively pursues, should be the main point of view character, and should have the most at stake. Here, of Buffy, Oz, and Willow, only Buffy has a goal she actively pursues throughout the episode. Up until this point... Oz hasn't had any goal, and Buffy has had the goal to find and stop the werewolf. There is a Willow-Oz subplot, but I really see it as wrapped into this main plot. And while you could see Willow as the protagonist of that subplot, she is not actively pursuing a goal yet. She is unhappy that Oz uh, is not, that the relationship isn't moving forward. She doesn't know where she stands with Oz. And this grew out of 
the last episode where he didn't want to kiss her because he felt she was trying to get even with Xander. And now she is feeling like, okay, he said he wanted to wait and he said he'd give it time, but it's it's too much time has passed. But Willow isn't actively pursuing that through much of the episode. She does start to do that. So I guess I'll take back what I said about it not really being a subplot. I think it is a subplot. It's just we've only gotten to the initial conflict stage of it or maybe inciting incident part of it. We haven't got to where Willow is really actively doing anything. So Buffy is the only one actively pursuing a goal for our main plot. She also is our main point of view character. We follow Buffy the most often. We do get a very small amount of Oz's point of view. We get more of Willow's and a tiny bit of Cordelia's. But Buffy is the one of all of them who has the most screen time and who we follow the most. Finally, who has the most at stake is a little bit fuzzier. Uh, Certainly Oz has a lot at stake here. He could end up getting killed by Kane. Willow has a lot at stake both because emotionally because she has fallen for Oz and because being near Oz can be a danger but what we saw with Buffy and and Kane saying you know it's on your head if anyone gets killed and her feeling that that maybe she should have killed the werewolf that gives her the most at stake in the sense that she is charged with protecting everyone in Sunnydale not just herself not just her boyfriend or her friend's boyfriend and this threatens her philosophy and worldview as the slayer and I'll talk a little bit more about that right before the spoiler section the werewolf is a particular challenge um, because the werewolf is human for 27 28 days out of the month and only a werewolf for three days so it puts the werewolf in this very gray area that threatens Buffy's mission or view of her mission and herself as the slayer so we have found this thing out about Oz. So of course, huge reveal, we cut to a commercial. One of those great hooks that Buffy uses to keep us coming back. So always the thing to think about when you're ending your chapters. After the commercial, we have Oz on the phone. He's talking to his aunt Maureen. He says, is Jordy a werewolf? Uh Uh-huh. And how long has that been going on? Uh Uh-huh. No reason. Then we get the impact on him. He is walking through the halls. The sounds are a bit hollow and echoey the way that Buffy was when the bounty hunters were coming after her. So we see that in a way maybe it was only talking with his aunt that made this really sink in with Oz. Before that he knew something was off because he woke up in a field naked but he didn't know for sure that he was the werewolf. He walks into the library Uh, in the midst of a conversation this is where Buffy says she can't believe she let the wolf go that Kane was right and she should have killed it when she had the chance Oz asks if anyone got bitten or scratched and Buffy says Teresa's dad Oz looks stricken and Giles says there's one more night and Oz says another night and his whole body sags forward he puts his hands on the library table and his shoulders Shoulders are hunched. We have truly never seen Oz appear distraught before. So while this is a relatively small body language change, it telegraphs so much because normally Oz is so unflappable. 
Xander says uh, he can find the werewolf because of his experience with being the hyena. And he goes on this whole thing about how he knows that urge for freshly killed meat. And then uh, Buffy and Willow remind him that he said he didn't remember any of that. So he kind of uh, rushes past that and he's looking around and he says, wait a second, the answer is right in front of us. And he's looking at Oz and Oz looks frightened. And Xander says, I'm Larry. And says it's clear given how Larry behaves and he is going to go talk to him. It's an interesting choice for the audience to know the truth here. That dramatic irony where we know something that our main characters do not. Here, I think it's it's partly for the humor in the next scene that we get that there is this misunderstanding going on that Xander doesn't. But it is also for the intensity and the emotion. We really feel Oz's tension in a way that we could not if we didn't know what Oz knows. Because the other characters don't really pick up, other than Willow, don't really pick up how upset Oz is. I'm kind of jealous that I can't use dramatic irony in my current series because it is first person and limited to my character Quill's point of view. My previous series, the Awakening series, was a thriller and it was multiple points of view so I could do that where the audience could learn something key from another character, a more minor character, and my main characters didn't know it and that can be so great for ratcheting up the tension and how your audience feels. But in first person, the audience can only know what the main character or what the main viewpoint character knows. Willow does notice that there is something going on with Oz because she asks if he's okay and she attributes it to him knowing Teresa and says, you know, I know you knew her. And he says he's trying not to think about it. It's a lot. And Willow says she's going to research and he could help her research. And he says he's busy. He's got to go. Buffy overhears and looks sad for Willow because they both take it as Oz not being as interested in Willow as she is in him. Or at least Oz just not picking up on things and not moving their relationship forward. We then get this scene with Larry and Xander in the locker room. Room. And Xander says to Larry, you know, I know your secret. I know what you're hiding. And Larry threatens Xander. But Xander says hurting him won't make the issue go away. And Larry says, what do you want? Hush money? Xander reassures him he knows what Larry is going through and he just wants to help and that Larry should talk about it. And Larry says that's fine for Xander, but Larry has a reputation. How are people going to look at me after? after they find out I'm gay. Xander now looks shocked and Larry feels great now that he said the words and he says it again and he's grateful to Xander for helping him and says that knowing Xander went through what he did, went through the same thing, made it easier for him to admit it. And now Xander laughs very awkwardly, looks a little panicked and says, no, I'm not. And Larry says, don't worry, I wouldn't do that to you. Your secret is safe with me. This scene, looking at it 20 some years 
later, it can be read a couple different ways. At the time, a number of shows, you would have this, what um, some critics call the gay panic, where the joke is, hey, you know, it's okay to be gay. The I think it was Friends. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but the guy panics at the idea that anyone would think that he is gay. The reason I feel like there is more to it is Leary is saying he does not think people in Sunnydale High would be accepting of it. So he feels he needs to hide. Could be perhaps even a dangerous thing to admit. Sunnydale High isn't the safest of places to be. Also, I don't read Xander, and I I could be wrong as, oh, that's a scary thing or that's a bad thing. But some audience members might feel that we should have just left out this scene. Back at the library, as they are researching, Buffy suggests to Willow that maybe she needs to do something daring and make the first move with Oz. Separately, Xander tells Buffy that Larry is not the werewolf, and she talks about how bad she feels about Teresa not being able to save Teresa. As they talk, she realizes that the news reports did not say that Teresa was mauled, which would be consistent with a werewolf. We cut to the funeral home. Teresa is lying in the coffin. Buffy moves a scarf on her neck and they see a vampire bite. First, Xander is saying, oh, this is good. It's not a werewolf. And then he says something like, oh, there's no good here because it's just something else Buffy couldn't save Teresa from. And Xander says she can't blame herself for every death. Teresa rises from from the coffin. She and Buffy fight. Buffy is about to stake her and she says Angel sends his love. This catches Buffy off guard and Teresa is able to overpower her, proving Angel's point that he made to Spike in Innocence that the way to kill Buffy, you have to work from the inside. You have to love her. You have to get into her heart. Teresa's on top of Buffy about to bite her and Xander stakes Teresa from behind and helps Buffy up and hugs her and holds her and says he's not the same guy you knew. Buffy then gives Xander this look that could be interpreted as romantic and walks away and Xander says oh no my life's not too complicated. That part of the scene has never quite worked for me. I really feel like this is here because maybe there were fans who still were shipping Xander and Buffy or the network thought that this should be held out there is this maybe they'll get together and to me it it doesn't ring true it's one of the rare times there is a moment in Buffy where what the characters do just doesn't work for me. We are now 33 minutes in we're moving toward the three-quarter turn in the plot that's the next major plot turn that should grow out of that midpoint commitment or reversal and spin the story in another new direction. Now before we get there we see Kane he's in his truck and he's making silver bullets and the full-ish moon is rising it's the night after the full moon but it still looks full. Oz is at his place he has gotten out these rusty metal cuffs and chains from a box and someone knocks on the door and it's Willow. 
So we're at 34 minutes in and we're getting that turn where Willow is putting herself directly in the path of the werewolf. I see this as arising from that reversal where Oz was turned into a werewolf or we learn that Oz is the werewolf and it is a reversal for our protagonist because now it's not just a human she has to hunt but someone she knows and cares about and we see this become the conflict here that Willow is directly in danger. Going back to that reversal again for a moment, the idea of Teresa being a reversal for Buffy, that she couldn't save Teresa. Now we realize in a way that was not a reversal for this episode because Teresa wasn't killed by the werewolf. So it doesn't really serve as an episode reversal for Buffy other than it has that emotional impact when Buffy believes that's what happened. Yet it is still a personal reversal for Buffy because Angel is the one who killed Teresa. Not just a generic vampire that Buffy never ran across, but Angel, who Buffy still feels she was responsible for his change, for his turn into Angelus. So we get uh, what I mentioned, a great Willow rambles. She's angry. Oz is trying to say this isn't a good time, but she goes into this she says something like she had the whole thing worked out she had it written down but it didn't make any sense when she was reading it back so she just kind of uh, freeforms into this thing with all the things that Oz did that made her think he really liked her including something I love that he tucked her tag back into her shirt but now he's backing away and she goes on and says you know Buffy says a girl has to make the first move and then she says and now that I'm saying this I'm starting to think that the written version sounded pretty good but you know what I mean this is a great example of a genuine misunderstanding and difficulty communicating we've all seen those scenes in tvs or movies where someone comes in to tell something really vital that maybe could save the other person from getting killed and the other person won't let the character talk and most of the time I see those and I just find them frustrating and artificial because in real life if I had to come in and tell you something like that and you were insisting on talking about something else I would stop you I'm a fairly um, soft-spoken laid-back person when I'm not arguing in court and even I would just cut that person off I'd probably put my hand on their chest and say stop or put my hand up and say stop or I'd yell like I would yell over that person whatever it took to get their attention and yet so often in TV and movies a character doesn't do that and even in books they just let the other person not let them speak. Here though I believe this because Willow is so angry and she's going into all of this and because we have established that Oz is still in shock. He is still processing this. So I feel like he just doesn't have the words to tell her. I don't think he's ready to tell her. And she's really angry that he's home. So the situation has increased her anger. She says, now you're here doing nothing rather than being with me. And he says he's going through some changes. She says she's going through a lot too. And Oz says, not like me. 
And then she sees the chains and the handcuffs and kind of trails off and she's very confused. The other thing that makes this scene work where Oz isn't cutting her off is we've also already established that Oz is a man of few words. He doesn't ramble. He doesn't express emotions in a big way. So I think that adds to the idea that he doesn't quite know how to jump in and stop this or he's not quite ready to do it. But now he tells Willow, get out. And he staggers behind the couch and we see him changing into the wolf. Willow can't see it until he rises up and he is the wolf. Special effects here, especially looking back 20 some years, not great. Even at the time, I I feel like the wolf seemed a a little, uh, maybe a little goofy, but I'm willing to go with it. Especially because Willow is in peril and she sees him screams and runs. She runs outside, she gets over this fence just before he catches up and uh, once she's over, he's trying to follow, she hits him with a garbage can and we do a quick cut to Kane who hears the werewolf howling. So this just reminds us of this danger. Willow is in danger from Oz, Oz is in danger from Kane. Now we are at the library, Buffy comes in and tells Giles about Teresa and then Willow is running through the woods, she stumbles and falls, the wolf catches up with her but then stops, sniffs the air and follows a scent to uh, I think it's this piece or pile of, of raw meat. Willow runs into the library and says it's Oz, it's Oz. We get a nice back and forth, Giles says are you certain? And Willow says can't you just trust me on this? And we move to the climax. Uh, That whole sequence, watching it now when I know what's going to happen, it does make me wonder about the layout of Sunnydale. Where exactly are these woods that Willow runs down a sidewalk and then she's in the woods and then she's in the library? I don't know. So we are at our climax where we bring the main plot to a close and bring our opposing forces together. 37 minutes, 47 seconds in. Kane is aiming a gun at the wolf as the wolf bends over the meat. So he left that as a way to lure the wolf. And I like this because Kane inadvertently saved Willow. And it is somewhat set up because we saw that earlier when he caught Buffy, he had been trying to catch the werewolf with a trap so it fits and I feel like that makes it work where otherwise it would seem sort of too convenient. Kane does this right in time to save Willow but we have seen that he tries to trap werewolves before shooting them and that he heard the howling so he no doubt was also tracking the werewolf. At the last second Buffy uh, kicks Kane, kind of comes out of nowhere, kicks Kane and now she is fighting the werewolf trying very hard not to get scratched. Giles has a tranquilizer gun, but he can't use it because they are spinning around and around. Willow ultimately ends up with a gun and shoots Oz with it, and he falls. And Willow says, I shot Oz. Giles says, you saved us. So though Buffy is pivotal to all of it and to the resolution, as is Giles, Willow is the one who shoots. I see this as key for Willow's character. It shows that Willow is so strong in the sense that she is able to grab that gun and shoot Oz despite her feelings for him. She is not letting uh, her emotions and her love for him 
blind her to the danger and she's making a choice to stop him to be the one who stops him now uh, is it a deliberate choice most people are acting on instinct in these kinds of moments but her instinct still is to protect herself protect her friends and others by stopping Oz So we move to the falling action. That is the part of the story where we tie up the loose ends. Kane says, no wonder the town is overrun with monsters. No one's man enough to kill them. Buffy has his rifle and she says, don't be too sure of that. And she bends it into a loop so it's unusable, hands it back to him and says something like, don't let the door hit you on the ass. Giles reassures Willow that while Oz will be a little sore tomorrow, he will be okay. At school the next day, Buffy and Xander are sitting at a table near the vending machines. Xander says it'll be so weird. He doesn't know how to look at him now that he knows so much about him. Buffy says he's still a human being most of the time. And Xander says, who are we talking about? And we realize he was talking about Larry and knowing Larry's secret. Another guy knocks a girl's books out of her arms, as we saw Larry do in the beginning. She bends over to pick them up. He starts to make a comment, but Larry helps her retrieve her books and is really nice to her. So it seems to me that Larry's story here encapsulates one of the themes of the show, which is about being who you are and the danger of secrets. So we saw Larry with his secret. He was behaving in this terrible way, either as a cop or because he couldn't admit something about himself. He even says to Xander, because he thinks that Xander is telling him he's gay, um, says, hey, maybe all those times I beat you up, it was because I saw something in you that I didn't want to accept in myself. So that is part of the message. And with Oz, we see that in a different way in that Oz is this huge danger to Willow, to everyone, until he becomes aware of who he is and can take precautions to deal with it so that during the month when he is human everything's fine and we'll see in the next scene he'll say he's going to have to lock himself up on those three nights. Xander says to Buffy at first as a joke and then for real that he is worried Willow's not safe with Oz. He starts to say if it were up to me and Buffy says Xander it's not up to you. We cut to Oz and Willow. This is where um, we tie up, well, what's going to happen with Oz? And he says, Giles told him he'd be okay. He just has to lock himself up three nights a month. And then he says, only he used more words than that and a globe. Oz says he didn't tell Willow because he didn't know what to say. It's not every day you find out you're a werewolf. And he says maybe it's best if he stays out of her way. But Willow says she's kind of okay with him being in her way. And they agree they will keep seeing each other. She walks away. Then she comes back and kisses him. This is a three beat with Willow making the first move. Initially, we got Buffy saying, maybe you need to do something daring. Make the first move. Then we got Willow trying to make the first move. And I guess she does. Like she shows up at Oz's. But she can't follow through because she finds out he's a werewolf. So that is the second time we have that Willow making the first move beat. And now we get Willow actually making that first move and they're both very happy. 
Oz, after she's walked away, turns and kind of looks at the camera and says to himself, a werewolf in love. I don't love this moment. It's rare that Buffy breaks that fourth wall between the show and the audience. I'm not sure it ever does it other than this. What's interesting is I always forget that this is here. Every time I watch this episode, um, I'm surprised by it. And I think in my head, I just edit that scene out. And it ends for me when Willow kisses him and she walks away and they both look so happy. There is no DVD commentary for this week. But before we get to spoilers, I wanted to share a couple things from one of the books I talked about before, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Philosophy, Fear and Trembling in Sunnydale edited by James B. South. The first is an essay I talked about before by Tracy Little, pointing out that season two is, uh, throughout, is woven this theme of you're not who I thought you were. And we saw that already. We saw it with Giles in A New Man, with Buffy realizing there is this hidden side to Giles. We just saw it with Angel turning to Angelus, uh, with Ted, Joyce's boyfriend Ted, with Buffy's friend Ford in Lie to Me when this guy she had such a crush on comes to Sunnydale High and it turns out he knows about her and wants to use her, trade her life for his, basically. And we also found out last week about Jenny being from the clan that cursed Angel. So again, something hidden, something in a close romantic relationship often that is unknown and you're not who I thought you were. And now we have this with Oz. This so fits the show's high school is hell metaphor because it's that time in life when more and more young adults are realizing that at, uh, first their parents so I think that's why we see that with Giles that their parents are not necessarily who they thought they were or how they saw them and this can often be a source of great disappointment and even anger which we see Buffy go through in A New Man I'm sorry I keep saying A New Man A New Man is a different episode down the road with Giles so those of you who are saying that in your heads to me um, yes not A New Man in the Dark Age also it is that age where often a first love, first sexual experience, these intense emotions and hormones and attachments, and that very difficult lesson that many people learn at that stage. It can also happen later, but it can have uh, so much impact there to find out that that person you have fallen for, that you feel so smitten with, is truly not who you think they are. So we really see that metaphor again here with Oz, although it plays out in a much less awful way than the Buffy Angel experience did. The other essay that talks about Oz, Feminism and the Ethics of Violence, Why Buffy Kicks Ass by Mimi Marinucci, goes to the theme of this episode and why I think that the stakes are so high for Buffy here, because it explores who can Buffy kill? The essay makes the point that Buffy kills vampires 
and monsters, but not always, only when they're a threat. So it says that this quote suggests Buffy does not use violence against vampires, demons, and monsters insofar as they are vampires, demons, and monsters. Instead, she uses violence against willing agents of evil. Here is one of the earliest and most explicit examples of this. We saw a little bit of it when Xander was possessed by a hyena. Here, we see it in even more depth. She doesn't want to kill the werewolf, even before she knows it's Oz, because the vast majority of the time, it is human and not a threat, and because there's this intent and knowledge question. She didn't kill Xander as a hyena, though he was a threat and a danger, because he hadn't chosen to be a hyena. She didn't think he was in control. And likewise here, Giles makes the point that the werewolf might not even know that it is a werewolf and by inference that it didn't choose to be a werewolf. This further develops Buffy as a hero and though she briefly regrets not killing the wolf when she thinks it killed Teresa, I think even if Teresa had been killed by the werewolf, she ultimately still would have brought that tranquilizer gun. So that's it for the main part of this episode. I do have some spoilers to talk about. I hope you will stick around for those. If not, thank you to all the patrons who support the show and thank you for listening. And I hope you'll come back next Monday for Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. And we're back for spoilers. The scene before the credits shows that Cordelia has stronger feelings than Xander, or at least she's more focused on the two of them than Xander is. And I'm talking about that scene where they're in the car and Xander keeps breaking away from her as they are kissing to say things about Willow and Oz. Cordelia's complaints later to Willow in the bronze emphasize that. Because now that Willow knows, Cordelia is fairly open about her feelings about Xander, though she is saying, it in the context of expressing irritation with him, how everything is about Buffy and Willow. And this heightens how much we feel for Cordelia in the next episode where though she breaks up with Xander, we realize that she she really does care about him. And this episode builds up to that. Very minor spoiler is Giles mentioning that the werewolf could be female. And in season four, we will see a female werewolf that will be key to the whole Oz storyline. The tension with Xander saying, you know, Oz isn't good for Willow and he's worried about Willow and Puffy saying, Xander, it's not up to you. We will see this Xander continuing to have these possessive feelings about Buffy and Willow and who they're involved with, particularly with Buffy. Xander is very negative about her relationships, about Angel. The only guy he really likes is Riley and I have to wonder if that's because he senses that Riley is not there for the long term. You can obviously also argue that Riley doesn't pose any physical danger to Buffy. He's not a vampire. um, He's not a werewolf. He's not a monster. But it is an interesting thing that that is the one guy that Xander likes to see Buffy with and certainly this hints at the issues when Buffy and Spike 
become involved and how judgmental Xander is of Buffy. And then there is the theme in the episode, the point from the essay about Buffy using violence only when she sees a vampire or demon as a threat. And this will be a source of conflict, conflict between Buffy and Faith next season when Faith discovers Angel is still alive and Buffy has not told her that. And she assumes that Angel is evil and tries to kill him. And this is the same episode where Gwendolyn Post, pretending to be a new watcher, shows up and completely misleads Faith and manipulates her. And I see that episode as a huge turning point for Faith, largely because of Gwendolyn Post betraying her, but also because she feels betrayed by Buffy, not telling her uh, about Angel. And because I think, at least in the beginning, Faith has a more black and white view of everything. And in some ways, that's great. She has more, I think, joy in life than Buffy because she doesn't see all these shades of gray and doesn't struggle as much with the moral complexities of being the Slayer. And this episode foreshadows that a bit, that there will be numerous issues where Buffy has to make these decisions about how much of a threat another being poses and whether it is right for her to kill that being. And of course, that will be a huge issue with Spike when he has that chip in his head in season four that keeps him from harming humans or at least killing humans, but doesn't really change who he is, at least not for much of the series. Many different times, different characters will think that Buffy should kill Spike and she will not do it. Finally, this episode is necessary for the episode we get later in season three when Angel comes back, Beauty and the Beasts, which will further explore this relationship between the idea of aggression, um, male aggression and violence, and the idea of a beast within or turning into a beast. So there's some really interesting things in that episode I'm looking forward to talking about, but I will leave it to when we get there other than to say we will come back to these issues that this episode raises. That is it for the spoilers and for this episode. If you have questions or comments about the show or the story structure or elements I talk about, you can tweet me at Lisa M. Lilly, hashtag Buffy Story, or email me Lisa at LisaLilly.com. Thank you again for listening. And next week, we will talk about Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, a fun episode where we find out what happened between Xander and Cordelia next and we get to see a slightly racy side of Joyce. Music for this episode was composed and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman LLC, copyright 2020.